God's people say, Amen. Amen. It's there at the cross. At the cross. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Luke. The book of Luke. We're going to be looking at chapter 22, a few verses there. Luke chapter 22. Remembering Jesus in communion. What are we here for today? (laughs) To go through the motions, to check it off the list. Been there today. Went to Sunday school, check. Morning worship, check. Or are we here today for something much greater than to check off of our list of things that we feel like we ought to do and move into the realm of delight? That's what I want it to be for me, and I hope that's what you want it to be, that coming here today collectively and corporately is a time that is unique in the Christian life to worship God, to remember Jesus and all of His greatness and goodness and His grace and mercy and love and His power and to worship Him because He is worthy of our worship. You found it by now. Luke 22, begin reading in verse 14. Verse 14. And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you that I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you. I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And then he did something radically new. Never been done before. He took the bread and he gave thanks. And he broke it and gave it unto them saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do. This part, Jesus says. You do it in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper saying. This cup is the new testament. The new covenant in my blood. Which is shed for you. Let us pray. Holy father in heaven. Divine son of God. Holy spirit. The great I am. The one who was and is and is to come. We bow in your presence this morning together, humbling ourselves as much as we know how that we might, O God, hear from you, that our faith, O Lord, in you and your promises would be enlivened again and enabled even more to see the beauty of your glory in Christ, in your word, by your spirit. And so we pray, Father, that you would come and walk and work among us in a very special way today. Lord, that this would not be uh, a motion that we go through, but a real experience of your presence. 
And so, Father, as we read these words, help us, O God, to grasp a little more of the depths of the realities and the truths contained in them. And as we do, I pray that it would invoke in us adoration and worship to you, our God, our Redeemer, our Keeper, our Friend. Bless us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. It's one of the great Puritan prayers that goes like this. God of all good, I bless thee for the means of grace. Teach me to see in them thy loving purposes and joy and strength of my soul. He's getting ready to take the Lord's Supper. Thou hast prepared for me a feast. And though I am unworthy to sit down as guest, I wholly rest on the merits of Jesus. And hide myself beneath his righteousness. When I hear his tender invitation and see his wondrous grace, I cannot hesitate, but must come to thee in love. By thy spirit, enliven my faith, rightly to discern the emblems of my Savior's death. May I ponder why he died and hear him say, I gave my life to purchase yours. Presented myself as an offering to expiate your sin. Shed my blood to blot out your guilt. Opened my side to make you clean. Endured your curses to set you free. Bore your condemnation to satisfy divine justice. I don't think we have evolved very much in 21st century Christianity from prayers like that. Amen. Coming to the Lord's table. May we see today enlivened by the Holy Spirit. The reason for which Christ died. May we be able to discern and enjoy in a spiritual way. What God has done in Christ for his glory and for our everlasting good. Remembering Jesus in the Lord's Supper. You see, we like, unlike many today, celebrate a crucified Savior. We do not celebrate and we do not preach a message. That if you just take a few of these good advices, these few steps will make you a better you now and a better eternity later on. But we preach humanity very low and we preach God in Christ very high. We do not look to men and other people and human institutions and organizations To lead us in the pathway of righteousness in which God desires and has commanded us to walk in. No, we look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We hold up the work of Jesus Christ in his perfectly obedient, righteous life. In his substitutionary, sacrificial death on the cross of Calvary. His resurrection from the grave. His ascension into heaven and his soon coming promise. We look unto Jesus. As we come together to worship. I couldn't understand how we could worship any other way. But to look to Jesus. 
And so with our time that we have this morning, that's what I want us to do. I have five things that I want us to remember about our Lord as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Number one, in the Lord's Supper, we remember His eternal love. We remember His eternal love. In the book of John, as he recounts this very event in the life of Jesus and His followers, His disciples, he says and pins down for us in John 13, 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. One of the things that I want us to remember as we go to this table today, as we remember Jesus in the Lord's Supper, we remember his work, we remember his life, and we remember his love It is an eternal love. God is eternal. And God has always been and always will be. And He never changes. And He never has a new idea. And He never has a new uh, uh, thought. He never can learn anything that He doesn't already know. And He has always loved His Son. And He has always loved His people. As a matter of fact, as God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 3, the Lord appeared to them from far away. He says this, I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore I have continued my faithfulness to you. You see, we love God not because we first loved Him, but because He first loved us. Because He pursued us. Through the person of Jesus Christ and through His Holy Spirit, He pursues us even today. And it's not by because of anything good that we've done. It's not because we have earned it or could have earned it. It's not because we deserve it, but it makes us rejoice all the more in the eternal love of God, the eternal love of the Son, the eternal love of the Holy Spirit that He would seek out sinners in this way. And so when we remember Jesus, I don't know about you, but it's very humbling to me to realize that before he ever made Adam in the Garden of Eden, he loved me. He loved you. And he pursued you, purchased you with his eternal love. Number two. In the Lord's Supper, we remember His boundless grace. Not only His eternal love, but His boundless grace. Certainly, the word grace is an important term in the Scriptures. The term grace and the doctrine of the grace of God is one of the key and foundational doctrines in the Holy Scriptures. To understand the doctrines of grace will be to understand The work of God in salvation. I think of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2.8. When he says that we are saved by grace. Through faith. And that not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. And so right there we get a little clue as to what grace is. It is a gift. It is the gift of God. Not of works lest any man should boast. For we are his Creation. We are His workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And so as we think about the grace of God, we understand this morning that it is a boundless grace. It is unlimited in its scope. It's unlimited. It is unlimited in its vastness. You can never plumb the depths. You can never measure its width. You can never reach its highest peak. The grace of God is a boundless grace. And thankfully so because we need it. (laughs) Because we are undeserving sinners. And grace is undeserved favor from God. God owes us nothing. And yet he has given us in Christ everything. And so when we come to the table and we partake of the emblems of his dying body and his broken body and his shed blood, as we partake of that, we understand through that means of grace that Jesus Christ is the author and finisher. He is the means by which God has handed down to his people. Everything that we enjoy and everything that we will enjoy throughout eternal ages comes to us as a gift. Unearned, undeserved, unmerited. But we should also remember that this boundless grace of God is not cheap. It was very costly. It cost God the Son, Jesus of Nazareth, his life. It was very costly. John, the Apostle John, in his account of the gospel, the life of Jesus, in John chapter 1, verse 16, talking about Jesus, says, From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. But this boundless grace that you could enjoy today, this boundless grace that will bring you into a right relationship with God, is a purchased grace. It is a gift that was purchased through the blood of Jesus Christ. It is a gift that is purchased through the righteousness of Christ and the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. And that brings us to number three. Not only do we remember his eternal love, we remember his boundless grace. And thirdly, we remember his terrible agony. His terrible agony. Jesus says in verse 15 of our text that he desired to eat this Passover with his disciples before he suffered. And all did he suffer. We're quite a spoiled people here in the United States. Quite frankly, we're all very spoiled in this room. No matter how Poor you may feel, you're really very, very rich. We have things in this country that are just normal things of life that other people have never even experienced. (laughs) Clean running water. Our sewage is taken away from our homes. No, No problem. 
We all have clothes upon our backs, food to eat. We are so rich in this country. And we do not realize what it is really to suffer. But Jesus came as a man for this purpose. So that he could suffer and die for sinners. Like you. And like me. He went even before he ever made it to the cross, into the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Bible says that he was in great agony as he prayed, even as he anticipated the excruciating pain that he would endure. He was flogged and beaten, mocked and ridiculed and spit upon, even before he made it to the horrific cross. Oh, he's not the only person to endure such suffering on a Roman cross. But he's the only one who suffered in the unique way in which he did. Because on that cross, as Jesus was giving his body and his blood, giving his very life force, pouring out of his veins and his wounds, he was suffering for sinners. Like you and like me. He was suffering in agony. Not because he had to. But because he chose to. He wanted to do it. With desire. I've desired to eat this Passover. Why this Passover? Because it's the one right before I go to the cross. We remember his terrible agony. Verses 19 to 20, he talks about his broken body and his shed blood. Number four, not only in the Lord's Supper do we remember his eternal love. Secondly, his boundless grace, his terrible agony. And fourthly, his triumphant victory. (laughs) You see, we don't leave him on the cross as you see sometimes. You see a cross in a Baptist church, it'll be empty because he's not there anymore. As a matter of fact, he's not even in the grave anymore. But he is somewhere. He is in heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he's waiting on his moment to return. His, we remember his triumphant victory. As the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, as he wrote to them concerning the Lord's Supper, as Jesus had revealed it to him in a personal revelation, he says to them, For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you do proclaim my death until I come. And so we remember his triumphant victory this morning. And something in this text, in in the book of Luke, struck me in a way that it, it never had before. And I want to share it with you. In verse 16 and 17, he says, For I say unto you that I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now he's talking about the Passover. This is good stuff. I never thought of this before. That's why I love the Bible. And I love God's spirit that teaches us. And then in verse 17, he's eating the Passover. Okay. He hasn't gotten to that part where I said, this is new. Never been done before in the history of the nation of Israel. That is on down in verse 19 and 20. But in verse 16 and 17, they're eating the Passover. And he gives thanks and he says, Divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of it. 
the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. John the Baptist had been coming and he'd been saying, the kingdom of God is coming. Get ready. The kingdom of God is coming. Get ready. And then one day he looked on the, on the shores of the Jordan River and he said, look right there, behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus comes to the Passover and they're eating the last Passover together that he will eat in his earthly life. And he says, I'm not going to drink this cup. I'm not going to eat this bread anymore until I usher in the kingdom of God. You see it? I never saw that before. How does the kingdom of God come? How does the people of God, how are the people of God formed, purchased and bought and secured and brought into the kingdom of God? How is it done? Through verse 19 and 20. When I give my body and I shed my blood to purchase my people. The victory. We remember Jesus triumphant victory. Let me give you just about four things that I want to think about in the victory. Number one, victory over sin. Defeated it. Over sin. Not only our debt of sin, we had a debt. You owe this much. I can't pay it. Don't have any money. Don't have no way to pay. Jesus paid it. Second way that he defeated sin in our lives, not only by paying for our sins, all of them, the debt of all of them, paid in full. That's what he meant when he said, Tetelestai, it is finished. But also, he defeated sin in the fact that you and I now have victory over sin in our lives. Tomorrow when you get up, when you leave this place, when you're sitting here today, you can have victory over sin in your life. You don't have to continue to live as a slave to sin anymore because Jesus purchased That ability to overcome sin when he died on the cross and arose from the grave. Victory over sin. Victory over Satan and demons. They thought they had delivered the death blow. Let's put him on the cross. Let's get rid of this Messiah, this so-called Messiah. And when they put him on the cross and put him to death, what seemed to be victory at the time was actually the death blow to Satan himself and demon spirits that war against our souls. Victory over sin, victory over Satan and demons, victory over the world. Jesus said in John 16, 33, I've said these things unto you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage, take heart. I have overcome the world. Victory over the world. And fourthly and finally in this section, victory over death. We know that he came out of the grave. We know that he ascended back to the Father. We know that he promised that in likewise manner he would come as he went. And therefore that brings us to number five. This is the last one. In the Lord's Supper, we remember his imminent return. His imminent return. Jesus is coming again. Are you ready? How do you get ready? The Bible says that you believe. You believe on Him. You trust. Here's, here's the sinner. Before God. It's coming before God. You've got this sin debt. I can't pay it. I don't have anything to pay with. And Jesus presents His blood. You say, Father, be merciful to me, a sinner. Why? Why should I be? 
Well, not because of anything that I've done. But on the basis of what Jesus has done. Will you accept me? God says, yes, I will. Let me finish that Puritan prayer before we pray. O God of my exodus. Great was the joy of Israel's sons when Egypt died upon the shore. Far greater the joy when the Redeemer's foe lay crushed in the dust. Jesus strides forth as the victor, conqueror of death, hell, and all opposing might. He bursts the bands of death, tramples the powers of darkness down, and lives forever. He, my gracious surety, apprehended for payment of my debt, comes forth from the prison house of the grave, free and triumphant over sin, Satan, and death. Let's pray. Father, as our deacons come forth, we just want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for your spirit. We want to thank you for Jesus. The one who paid that debt. And the one who promises to set us free. By giving us taste buds for the superior pleasure. Namely, that we would know and enjoy you forever because of what he did on the cross. Help people to come today and leave the fields of darkness and sin and enter into a relationship with you through Christ by faith. God, as we begin the Lord's Supper, help us to remember these few things and maybe many more that you will bring to our hearts and our minds that we may celebrate and rejoice together. For we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.